Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on the 4th of July, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Happy 4th of July to everybody, and I come to you on this holiday. It's always tricky when the show lands on a holiday because, you know, you don't know how much engagement you're going to get. I mean, here in New York, the weather has been similar to Memorial Day, just awful. Uh, and it's supposed to get a little bit better, I think, today on 4th of July and tomorrow. But a celebration, a chance with the world opening up and with things you know, getting back pretty much to normal, I think, anyway. Uh, get out, enjoy the, the weather if it's nice by you. A lot of baseball today, a doubleheader. And, of course, being around your family, your friends, things like that. But I said, you know, you got about a week until, you know, the first half ends, the ceremonial first half. And, you know, this is really the charge to the All-Star break. And, you know, I could come to you now, give you some content and, you know, for the most part, it'll be fresh, even if you're going to listen to this after the doubleheader, you know, before the doubleheader, whenever you get to it. But I have a pretty cool guest, 
Jacob Wilkins, who's the lead play-by-play guy for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Yes, the Mets AA affiliate. Don't forget about them. We talk a lot about Brooklyn, and everybody knows Syracuse, but the I call them the B-Mets still, which is totally wrong. It's the Rumble Ponies, and it's been like that uh, for a while. But Jacob Wilkins will be joining me. And there's a guy down there that's starting to get some attention and get on the prospect radar, and that's uh, Mark Viento. So we'll see what he has to think. And there may be a couple of other... Um, you know, guys that he could bring up that, you know, potentially could be of interest to us here on the program. So Jacob Wilkins, the first time he's going to be joining us, he'll be, uh, he'll be, I had a chance to catch up with him a couple of days ago, so not much has changed, and uh, away we go. Now, uh, Mets with a nice win, first game of the Subway Series. I- I- I've been saying this for a long time, and I think yesterday is, and it's probably partially the weather. Juice is just not there. I mean, when that game started yesterday, that was like any other regular season Mets-Yankee game. I always said, and I don't think you're ever going to replicate this, at least not in the near term. And I think it has nothing to do with the Yankees not being the kind of team that you saw for many, many years. But the, the Subway Series always used to be a test for the Mets, at least. And even for the Yankees. That regular season, postseason atmosphere where the stakes were high, even though that was just another regular season game, the stakes were always high. It, it was a chance to uh, play in front of a big audience, play in front of some postseason fan experience. They, they used to amp things up to the next level. Nothing better back then than the Mets going to the Yankee Stadium and getting a big win in front of a big crowd. A crowd that was, you know, 60, 65% Yankees fans, so it wasn't totally a road game, but you get my point. I don't think that that is the case anymore. We'll see what the doubleheader today brings. So many different things that come from a doubleheader. Uh, seven innings, you know, ESPN game at night. It's just so weird, so wacky. And uh, the Mets are well positioned to win these seven inning doubleheaders, especially if they get one of their big three pitchers on the mound in these games. They have Stroman in one of them, and it looks like Corey Oswalt is going to go into the second one, and we'll get. Get to that in a minute. So really, you know, the charge to the All-Star break, the Mets have to go out and continue to maintain or potentially be really nice. And they have some tough competition between the Yankees today, the Milwaukee coming in, then the, then the Pirates, the soft underbelly of the league comes in right before the All-Star break. It'd be nice to get into the All-Star break on a run. And right now the Mets are five games up in the loss column. It'd be nice to maintain that or grow that between now and the All-Star break. And then you kind of take a step back. And, and then really post-All-Star break, that's when this thing kicks into gear. Not only because now you're really into, to a certain degree, the scoreboard watching, and now you're into the you know the pennant race, you know the dog days of August are right there in front of you, but also the trade deadline's two weeks away, and it's a hard trade deadline now in baseball, so the Mets don't make any changes. Uh, you know, they're pretty much uh, going to go to war, for lack of a better word, with the team they have. Now, we heard some things, and I think that's really where I'll go because there's not a heck of a lot to say that's going to stay fresh about the game itself. I mean, great Subway Series win. Bats broke out finally. You know, you've seen Don Smith get going. Hopefully Jeff McNeil could get going. Uh, what could you say about Taiwan Walker? Uh, you know, really, you know, now with all the Bowers stuff that's come out, uh, regardless of what the end result is there, and I still think Bowers is a really good pitcher, it would have been nice at the top of the rotation. All the distractions that he would have brought. Negative publicity. 
that we, he would have brought to a team that really has had a good mojo so far this year, even with the injuries. Uh, thankfully, Taiwan Walker's on the Mets, and he's, he's signed for a reasonable amount. They're going to need pitching, and you know it sets them up not only now but for the next couple of years, and hopefully he stays healthy. But that's where I'm going to go because you're starting to hear some substantial rumors about the Mets. And as I said post-Memorial Day, you know, what does this team need? And with the injuries and some of the stuff that's been going on, it's been hard to completely assess. I've waffled on this. I said, you know, right after the injuries, hey, the pitching's pretty good. They got this defense thing with analytics and positioning. And maybe they got better defensive players than we think. They got that figured out. They got to go out and get a bat. But then they lose, uh, you know, Syndergaard news comes out, and he's not coming back till September, and I'm not counting on Syndergaard. And Carrasco has a setback where now you're hearing August. So he actually is going to be almost like a trade deadline acquisition. But you don't know what you're going to get. He's got to amp himself up. It's not like he's going to come day one and be, oh, I'm, I'm Carrasco, I'm back. Uh, you know, Lucchese goes down. Peterson with an oblique. And let's be fair, Peterson's been a, a complete disappointment this year. Uh, he's had some really good games, but I also think some games where he's performed the process in terms of, uh, you know, it could have really gone the other way. There's some hard-hit balls in Washington, a game that was a seven-inning doubleheader, and he couldn't really get them through five innings. That's very disappointing. Uh, there's a lot of little things that have made me, look, Peterson's a back-end-of-the-rotation guy. That's how he was advertised, but right now he's not even pitching like a number five. He's pitching like a 4A guy at times. Oblique's going to take a while. I know the Mets are optimistic about it. I'm I'm saying he's not, he's out till September. Anything before then is a bonus. So you've got two slots in the rotation, and I'm not disputing still that they may need a bat. So now the the needs have actually increased from Memorial Day. Went from Memorial Day where you wavered on one versus the other. Now you can make the argument they need a bat because you're not getting a good year out of McNeil. Tom Smith is starting to heat up, but we'll see. Uh, you know Pete Alonso's been okay. I think. Pete's struggles are more, you want him to be a uh, top five player in the league. I think Pete's a very good offensive RBI guy uh, that's in the middle of the lineup. I think that's what he is. And I think you got to really accept that. Uh, Lindor has had a down year offensively, uh, but been great defensively. I got to tell you, the more I see of him, not that he, it's worth $34 million, but if the floor is a, a hybrid of Omar Vizquel and Ray Ordonez with a little bit better bat than maybe both. Uh, that's not a bad floor to be at. Not $34 million a year worth, but different story for another day. And, and then, of course, Michael Conforto having an awful walk year. You know, injuries. And Conforto's always been a streak hitter, but right now he looks lost. And uh, although he's played well defensively, uh, you know, you're not going to pay a guy a big-time contract, Bryce Harper money, which is what the guy's going to be looking for for a good defense in right field. Uh and that's where I think it's tricky for the Mets as they go into the trade deadline, as they start to really uh, see what this team is about. Because the word on the street here from the media is the Mets don't want to trade any of their top prospects. And let's face it, the Mets, are their system is not as bad as what a lot of people have advertised, but it's top-heavy. You go to the top five, Alvarez, Mauricio, Matt Allen, Brett Beatty, Pete Carl Armstrong, two of those guys are hurt right now. There's some really good talent there. Um, and even JT Ginn, who's starting to pitch, a guy that 
has a lot of potential. These first-round picks of Brody Van Wagenen that he was able to put his chips to the center of the table, use his entire draft budget on these guys. Those top five or six are pretty good. Now, the next tier, Khalil Lee, Mark Vientos, who we'll talk about with Jacob Wilkins, uh, Zepucky, who we saw briefly the other night, a little bit different. But if the Mets are not willing to, to trade any of those top four or five, it's going to be hard to see them make a deal for any kind of player that's going to help them next year. And I know that there's going to be some eye-rolling because you kept hearing about the Yankees all these years and all these non, like they would protect all their best prospects, the Glyber Torreses of the world, and you'd have to pick from all the other, you know, f- you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten prospects. And you always hear the media say, well, the Yankees' tenth prospect is better than anybody's too, which was all marketing and nonsense. All, all nonsense. Mets really can't do that. And let's face it, it didn't really work for the Yankees the last few years. Teams are getting smarter. They're not being bamboozled by the, you know, narrative that because they're a Yankees prospect, they're better. Uh, you have to look at it on face value. Look at the results. You know, talk to scouts and things like that. Um, what can a Khalil Lee fetch you? What kind of Zepucky fetch you? Uh, Vientos is the interesting guy because now you're at a point with Vientos. He's, you know, is a guy who was drafted when he was 17. He's been around the team four years. He's starting to hit with power. He's doing in double A. You know, the double A, I still call it the Eastern League. I know it was the Northeast League or whatever it is. I don't care. That league, those ballparks, never easy to hit. Never easy to hit. So if you hit with power and and he's having a Kyle Schwarber type of run, uh, that might get some people's attention. And then, of course, you've got, you know, from an offensive standpoint, it looks like the only position the Mets feel they can, and I've said this for a long time, is third base. And and then that brings up the big names. Now, Chris Bryant was a name that we heard all winter when we thought the Cubs were in rebuilding phase. The Cubs got off to a hot start. Now they've fallen back. Uh, the Brewers look like they're ready to knock them out and run away with the division. The wild card with San Diego, San Francisco, L.A. out in the West is going to be really tough. Now, that's the part with the Mets here. You know, the Mets need to watch out because... Uh, not that I think any team in the NL East can really, because they're all got they all got their issues. Even with the Mets compromised, they have their issues. By all rights, the Mets should be running away with the division if they were healthy and they were competent. In some they've been not historically bad offensively, but they've been an outlier bad offensively. That they should have about an eight game lead right now and be ready to you know coast in the second half. Be that as it may. So the Cubs now are a team you might put back where that Bryant conversation could happen. And then you heard Josh Donaldson's name because Minnesota's been having an awful year. And that was interesting because I thought of that name, and I didn't bring it up on the show because I'm like, well, he's got a couple of years left on his contract at, uh, let's see, I think it's about $21 million. Yeah, about $21.5 million for two years plus an option. That's going to have repercussions for the luxury tax. That's going to have repercussions on resigning Conforto. That could have repercussions on them adding more pitching. I mean, look, forget the guy's wealth, the owner. You know, there's a luxury tax. There's a budget, and he's not going to have a $300 million payroll. I'm sorry. I just don't see that, even though he's very excited about owning the team. And if he's going to go wild and overspend, it's going to be now when he first has this new toy. So I found that to be an odd match, and now John Heyman comes out this morning and says there's nothing to it. So if you believe any Martino SNY, you believe Heyman, whatever you want to believe, everybody's got their sources, whether they're coming from a, uh, an operations department, a baseball ops department, or an agency. You know, There's something to it. I thought Donaldson uh, was an interesting fit, but it looks like there's not as much there. Uh, you could go a couple of different ways here. You could go and you could bundle the big fish and maybe give up a prospect that you don't want 
and get something for next year, which really it'd be nice to get an arm for this rotation for next year because you have Stroman as a free agent. You have uncertainty with Syndergaard. Now, Syndergaard probably played himself to a one-year deal. So you really, you know, from a standpoint of having to address Syndergaard, you really have kicked that can down the road a little bit. Unless he comes back in September and lights out and somebody gives him a big contract on one month, I find that hard to believe going into a CPA year. So you're going to need more starting pitching. Um, and, and maybe you could bundle that in. So I was thinking about, you know, if it was Donaldson that you were taking on that money, can you get uh, uh, a Berrios who's got a couple of years of arbitration eligibility, uh, Kenta Maeda who has a low-cost contract, you know, maybe you have them dump in a free agent type of veteran like a Pineda or a J-Hap. Less excited about those guys, but let's face it, Mets have two slots in the rotation that are being filled with unknowns. Tyler McGill, who's had a couple of okay starts, and Corey Oswald, who I, I think should get the shot, to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, he's been up and down, and, and part of Corey Oswald, and I guess, you know, when you listen to this, maybe you've already, the results are in from the, the doubleheader. Uh, you know, look at a guy like Chris Flexen, who was up and down, up and down with the Mets, and now is having a pretty decent year as a middle of the rotation, back end of the rotation starter. I think the Mets' development has been in question with a lot of these guys because they didn't really have a consistent role. I always said, guy goes up, goes down, sit in the bullpen, no flow. You're not really setting them up for success. I understand it's part of the options game and, and maximizing the 25-man roster in an era where you know starters you know are, are, are not going deep and, and you know, want to protect arms, but it's not good for development. So what do the Mets do? I think they could go a couple of different ways, and I think it'll materialize over the next, you know, 10 to, you know, 10 to 14 days, really the rumors of where they're going. Uh, first, you go and try to land a big offensive fish, and it's probably going to be third base, a Donaldson, a Bryant. Can they bundle in some of those guys? Can with, with Chris Bryant, can they uh, bundle in Kyle Hendricks as a starter, who has some money owed to him? So you're, you're, you're bringing him in. For a couple more years, how 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 much does the Ricketts family want to dump payroll, and what kind of prospect hall? I mean, these are analytical uh, teams; they're not just going to gift you these players. And I don't think you're going to get away with protecting all your top five. Now, the real question is: Can Vientos kind of headline a deal as a third baseman? Because he's not. I mean, he may be ready within a year, year and a half, two years. But if you're winning now, you're going to have to sacrifice something. There's there's going to be pain if you're going to make a deal to try to win. And this is a tournament team. This is a team that gets into that, what I call the baseball playoffs, which is basically a tournament. Uh, you're going to face DeGrom twice in a five-gamer, maybe three times in a seven-gamer. Nobody's going to want to face them, regardless of the flaws, regardless of the flaws on offense, regardless of what you think about their bullpen and Edwin Diaz in a big spot. All that stuff, regardless if you think Pete Alonso could be a big player at the big moment, you, teams are not going to want to face him. I don't think the Dodgers are going to want to face him. Uh, Giants aren't going to want to face him. Milwaukee's, I mean, they have good pitching in Milwaukee. Nobody's going to want to face them. doesn't mean that they're not going to beat them. They're not going to want to face them. That puts them as an interesting tournament team. Then once you get in the tournament, you don't know. Now, do you want to put all your chips and blow up your future for a maybe tournament? I always say you should go for it, especially when you have guys like DeGrom, in, in really their late prime, depending on how he ages. Uh, you want to maximize it. It's been a while. The new owner wants to make a splash. The new owner already made a splash with his signing. He wants to show that we're putting the Wilpon era of failure and, and almost misses and, you know, halfway in behind us. That's what he wants. So 
it's very possible that you're going to have to part one of those top prospects that I mentioned. You know, Matt Allen is on Tommy John surgery. I think somebody would still take him. Uh, I think Alvarez and Beatty would potentially be the guys that they consider a bit untouchable. Mauricio, you know, we'll see, 20 years old, shortstop. You're not going to need this shortstop for a decade. Unless Mauricio is going to play second, he's going to play third, you are not going to need a shortstop for a decade. So any shortstop prospect that you bring in is collateral to make a trade. That's all it is. Mauricio Vientos, that's not a terrible package. Now, what do you get? You're getting a free agent in Bryant. Maybe you're getting a, a pretty good middle-of-the-rotation pitcher there. I know some people said, How can you throw in a bullpen on like Kimbrell? Kimbrell has a vesting option for games finished. He's not going to want to come here and set up. What is that going to do for Edwin Diaz to put him in the eighth inning? Can you do a cold closer? I don't know how that would work. I mean, Kimbrell would have no choice if they added him in, uh, and that would really be going for the gusto, but I just don't see something like that. More realistic, and and I think all this talk, you know, hearing that the Mets don't want to part with a top prospect, hearing that they, you know, there's also concerns about the luxury tax. And the thing is this, if you if you bring in a Bryant, even though he's a free agent, and you're not going to sign him and Conforto, what you are doing is you're hedging your bets on Conforto. Because right now, um, and I'll go to where the realistic option is here, where I think they probably could land, which is not a bad place. Because they they're going to have to try to do something to reinforce the roster. Um, Conforto right now is giving you pause on a big contract, whether it's six or seven years like Springer, even three or four. I mean, it's not crazy to see Conforto, depending on how, even if he has a big August and September, if he has a big August and September and he's more Conforto-esque or they get into postseason and he stands out, Boris will find him a, a suitor. He'll throw away the first half. He'll sell that. He'll find him a suitor. Might not be the big deal that he thought, but he'll get his 25 to $30 million a year. Uh, but I think you have to give, because once you sign Conforto with Lindor, those are your offensive linchpins. And right now, neither one of them is very offensive in, in either way. They're both pretty good defensively. Lindor, very valuable defensively. But neither one of them are cornerstone offensive players in terms of 2021 production. So if you bring in a Bryant, maybe you sign him instead of Conforto. And now he's here. He gets a chance to play in New York. You'll see if he likes it. You offer these guys the qualifying offer. Maybe then, you know, you run into that problem. And let's remember, and I know this is going to really drive somebody nuts, he's still got all that money to owe to Robinson Cano. So he's coming back, and with the DH possibly in play next year, there's another bat, expensive bat, an older bat, but he's in play. So, you know, that's kind of where that goes. But where do I think they land? Because that's kind of, you know, you're looking at potentially some prospect capital that still needs to be given up there. They're going to see how desperate the Mets are. Because there is a value to giving, if you're the Cubs, giving Bryant the qualifying offer. Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy, two names that are out in Texas. Now, I still think it's going to require you to give up something. It may require you giving up J.D. Davis. Uh, it may require you giving up a Zepucky. Maybe require you giving up, uh, I don't think they'd give up Vientos, but you know somebody in that top 15. You know, Is there a way that there are guys further down that are younger that have potential? Uh, might require you giving up a Khalil Lee, uh, which I'm, listen, I'm not a big fan. Nice defensive player. I don't think the guy's going to hit. I think he's one of these toolsy prospects that is always, you're going to look and say, how does this guy get the cred? Maybe that's the Mets marketing, where they market this Khalil Lee asset 
they get, they got, they, they, snuck, they snuck into a three-way deal that had nothing to do with them, and they grabbed them, they like them. Maybe that's your, you know, marketing, where you send them off to somewhere. Would I do that for Kyle Gibson, who has another, having career year, has another year on the contract at a very reasonable level, plus throw in a uh, Kennedy, who's a closer, who could help you close, and will help lengthen that bullpen. Because let me tell you, after yesterday, I mean, nice to see Familia kind of looking like the old Familia. I don't trust Castro. You know, Familia still walks a lot of guys, and I worry about his health, and I worry about him. Uh, Drew Smith is nice, but those are the second tier. And with Lugo still going through these weird recoveries, he wasn't available yesterday. I don't know why. I know he's just coming back. Maybe they're just being, maybe it's not him. Maybe it's them saying, hey, we're going to watch you because you're coming back from surgery and ease you back in. Very possible. With Lugo being kind of a question mark night in and night out, you're going to need another quality bullpen arm. I keep telling you, these starters, whether it's Walker to DeGrom, Stroman there, they're not going more than seven innings. That's it. You're minimum getting six outs every night. Minimum. Probably nine. You're going to need another arm. Interesting Ian Kennedy out of the three big Yankee names that were out there. You know, Phil Hughes, Jabba Chamberlain, Ian Kennedy. He was the one that had the most issues early on. He's been in the league 11 years. He's still in the league. Sometimes when I see the name, I'm like, wow, do you realize we've been talking about Ian Kennedy for over a decade? A guy that came up, got you know sent down, never really stuck with the Yankees. They traded him. He was in the Granderson deal. He was now retired, Curtis Granderson. Think about that. And he could be a very valuable guy out of the bullpen. Right-hander, doesn't walk a lot of guys. Everything that I look for. Mrs. Bats, doesn't walk guys. That's what you want out of the bullpen. So like a Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy, you know, reinforcement on the rotation. Then you get Carrasco back. He's another reinforcement. You get your bullpen arm. That, to me, is a realistic way to go. But the real takeaway here, and we'll continue to watch Conforto, is you have big decisions on Conforto. And you want to hedge your bet and have options? You always have options if someone's a free agent. But you want to bring a Brian here and let him see what this place is about and help improve your opportunity to, to, to sign him and maybe send Conforto packing? Balance your lineup a little bit, you know, lefty-righty. Uh, not saying that's, you know, absolutely you'd have to see the guy play. A guy clearly could play. We know that. And he's flex and he's versatile. He could play the outfield. He could play third and play well. Uh, there's some more value there than Conforto. That would be a big decision. be a big decision for the Mets to make. It would be interesting where they go. But to me, that's where you're at. Those are the things we start to look at as we go into the All-Star break. Watching some baseball, seeing the Mets continue to hold and maintain and grow their division lead with the lineup getting back healthy. Maybe we could finally see this team come together, even though the pitching's starting to fall back. The offense needs to step up in the interim while they figure out what they're going to do with this staff. And they have the Oswalds and the McGills, and maybe there's a Puckies that come in and uh, try to give them five innings. The offense needs to start doing their part, like yesterday. They scored eight runs. Can't score two runs every day and win. Can't win 2-1 every day, 3-2 every day. Can't win one-run games every day. You're going to burn out the bullpen. You need to ha- allow the, the the B and C relievers some some rope to hang themselves. So that would Castro. So anyway, all right, let's take a quick break. Jacob Wilkins, B Mets lead play by play guy. Let's hear what he has to say. What's down on a farm? Maybe there's somebody we're not talking about that could be a trade chip or somebody that could help out the Mets this year and into the future. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. A special promotion coming up right after this. We'll remember the great 
16-13, 19-inning Mets win back in 1985, 4th of July win. I put a little special promo for you guys to listen to. An old clip. Danny Heat, former Met, joined me on 1240 AM WGBB back in 2007. Listen to a fun story he had from that night on that wild and wacky Mets win. We'll be back with that and more right after this. July 4th is a day for fun, family, barbecues, and baseball. In 1985, our nation's birthday became a memorable Mets moment as they beat the Braves 16-13 in 19 innings. Who could forget Atlanta pitcher Rick Camp homering to tie the game? Former Met Danny Heap joined me on 1240 AM WGBB back in 2007 to share a story in that 16-13 victory that wasn't reported in the box score. One of the highlights that stick out actually is this uh, the game on July 4th, 1985, the 19 inning game. Now, what I remember is Rick Camp hits that home run, and I see you turning around, putting your hands on your head. What, could you talk a little bit about that moment and that game in particular, and what's going through your mind as you see this ball sailing out, and you're going to be playing for another three hours till four in the morning? Oh, I know. We had rain delays. It was pouring down, and we stopped. We started. Uh, you know, I went in just a, you know, it was late inning, so I came in to pinch hit late in the game and stayed in the game and liked the eighth inning and the eighth inning. You know, before, before it's all over with, I got five or six at bats and it's, you know, I, I, I was just like going, everybody was so tired and I think that Atlanta was also, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, we wanted to kill everybody at that point. We should have won the game early and got, but the one thing I do remember, we're on our way back from the hotel and it's, you know, it's the sun's up, obviously, and uh, we're trying to cross an intersection, and it's been raining all the time, and it's off, and the, we're crossing a kind of a low water area with this bus, and, and we sat there, and we we're like, you know, this bus feels like it's floating, <laughs> and this thing was like, we're kind of going across the water, all of a sudden, the tires were off, and everybody's like going, oh my God, what are we going to do, and finally we got into across the street, but we're like going, I'm like, this would be the last thing we need after all of all of the all night playing baseball. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. Mark Vientos. He's over three on the day, hasn't put his mark on the game yet, just with a walk, but he swings at the first pitch and drills it deep to right field. Looking up, Bonifacio, this one's out of here. Speak of the devil himself, Mark Vientos. First pitch delivers, cutting the Arfills lead in half, eight to six. We're back, and it's that time of the year where we can start actually going down on the farm, seeing some results, and checking in with the different levels. And minor league baseball's back, and one of our first guests, first time on the program. Jacob Wilkins, he's the lead play-by-play announcer for the Rumble Ponies. You can check him out on Twitter at Jacob Wilkins. And at Rumble Ponies, BB is the account. And Jacob, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to probably say B-Mets a couple of times. And that's not disrespecting <laughs> the town of Binghamton. No, no. That's not because I don't like Rumble Ponies. Because as a lifelong uh, you know, Mets fan, you know, covering the team, I was the last time I was in Binghamton was 2011, covering the team. So it's been a bit of a time. Uh, it's it's natural. So I apologize in advance, but welcome to the program. And I'll tell you what, it must be nice to be talking minor league baseball after last year. And I'll tell you further, it was no guarantee that Binghamton was going to be not only a Mets affiliate, but even in this system. So, you know, it could have gone Trenton your guys way. So it must be nice where you're at as we head into uh, 4th of July weekend. 
Well, first of all, Mike, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on. Um, and it's a great time of year. You know, we're in the sort of meat of the baseball season. Um, and obviously it's great. <clears throat> and I think all my colleagues, and we have a great group of broadcasters across it's funny. I say the Eastern League, which is now the Northeast League. So, right. Which uh, is a whole nother thing. I, I, I think they took the character away there. All due respect. <laughs> but, it, you know, it could be the Eastern League on this show. We could do that. Right. Go ahead. Right. I have to update <laughs> like in Google. Oh, it's not the Eastern League context. Anyway, uh, they're East Coast teams. And we have a great group uh, of broadcasters and media relations folks. Um, and And I think we're all grateful to be to me, Mike, it's all about the little things. It's um, doing pregame interviews. It's even with the, you know, obviously um, adhering to all the restrictions, but just watching batting practice from afar from the stands um, and and seeing the stories uh, that develop throughout the year. And and we can certainly get into, into some of those. So grateful to uh, be able to go to the ballpark again on, on a daily basis and, uh, to tell these guys stories and it's really been been an exciting season and i gotta tell everybody when i was a kid my dad used to take us on road trips i went to Pawtucket and scranton and at the time norfolk was a triple a affiliate and as a guy of, of the mets and as a guy that grew up in the boroughs this was like going to the country this was like you know <laughs> there was no internet back then there was nothing so if you're out there and you have a chance to get to binghamton it's going to be essential workers week coming up there's a lot of great promotions yep. and binghamton's a nice little town i know it's a college town uh, in people's minds and certainly binghamton university i'm sure everybody knows that and i'm sure there's people who went there in, in the audience uh but binghamton's a nice town so before we get to the team i think it's important as minor league baseball comes back you know people who may be looking to do a minor league trip now that the world is opening you know, how do, what do you think about Binghamton and what they can see and do? There's the Rumble Ponies, you know, B-Mets, if you want to call them that. What <laughs> else is there to do just to kind of give those guys a flair if they want to come and make the trip uh, up to Western New York? Yeah, well, it's funny, Mike, and I'm from Long Island, and certainly a lot of folks uh, that went to my high school went to Binghamton University. So I was always familiar with it. And we have a joke, you know, my predecessor, Tim Hyman, who was here for many years yes, and set the Tim, gold yep. standard. Also a Long Island native. So we all flock here. Uh, but the, the thing is, this is a great time of year to come up to uh, this part of New York State. I mean, New York State's such a beautiful state in general. I agree. Um, I agree. And, and, and obviously, you know, I we love the city. We, and that gets a lot of attention. But uh, in Binghamton, for instance, this week uh, is the Dick Sporting Goods Open, which is also back after um, a year hiatus. And that's a Champions Tour golf event. Um, and so uh, a lot of attention on this, uh, on our community this week, it's a great place, um, to golf. You have actually where that tournament is taking place at enjoy, uh, country club, um, it, or enjoy golf club is, is a terrific place to golf leisurely. You have uh, a links course here. So there's plenty of, uh, places for that. There's great hiking. Uh, you're near, you're, you're a day trip to Ithaca, you're, not that far from Cooperstown. A lot of people like to yep. group that national uh, the, to the Baseball Hall of Fame and then come here. Um, Syracuse, obviously, if, if maybe you are looking at, at, at stuff up there, or you're looking at Cuse. Um, so, and, and the Finger Lakes, which is one of the most beautiful regions uh, in the country, if you're, you're into wine or beer, whatever. Um, and uh, so, but locally, right in Binghamton, it's amazing. As I said, I I uh, had friends that, that I graduated, uh, didn't go to Binghamton, but in 2010, I had friends that graduated Binghamton the same year. 
and they've come back up for a game and they've been amazed by the development. There's so many people that have been involved in really a thriving downtown. Um, I was just at a place called the beer tree that um, was already in a location in the area. You don't have to get beer, plenty of good food. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to come across uh, as that guy, Um, but it also, they just opened up in a new location in the mall. So you're constantly surrounded um, by, by things opening. Um, you know, there's some but really great places downtown. Opposing teams, um, you know, really like, uh, there's a great place, Strange Brew, that sells coffee. Um, there's great places to eat. So, so you'll be able to keep yourself busy in addition to going to the ball game. Absolutely. And guess what, guys? There is some players down there. Now, it's okay. not triple A, but double A is in, in this day and age a step not too far. And a couple of years back, there was a couple of guys down in Binghamton in the dead cold of April named <laughs> Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil tearing it up. And look where they are now. And you have a couple of guys that are starting to get attention. Uh, one guy that's been with the organization a while that was a high draft pick that I think gets forgotten about, about in Mark Vientos. And Carlos Cortez, who's starting to get play. So I'm curious, you know, fans are starting to get excited. They're starting to see the names on a box score. Um, it's a little unfair to these guys because of the social media aspect. Back in the day, they'd be in some obscure publication and they could relax and be themselves. But uh, time to get excited about these guys. Vientos is as close to the minor league version of Kyle Schwarber. Seems like there's a video of a home run every night. And uh, you got a couple on your Twitter account. So talk a little bit about those guys. He's gotten hot, Mark has. Um very re- recently he's always been it's it's interesting Cortez and Vientos both great players both different players Vientos really a power guy uh even though they're both um now Mark has the team lead in home runs but Carlos has, has hit his fair share as well but I think you know Mark has been been a slugger uh throughout the year has had some big hits but really this last series against Redding where he uh, uh hit five homers over the course of that series then in the first game of the series against Richmond was three for three and um, was minor league, uh, the, the player of the week, you know, for the Northeast league. Um, and Carlos is, you know, uh, Keith Rand from Brooklyn said, this is a guy that can, uh, for folks that don't know, Keith is, is my counterpart or my yep. equivalent. In Brooklyn. And he has, he was on the show a couple of years ago, pre pandemic. So he beat you by two years. Oh my God. He's great. Yeah. He's great. Can you believe he would do that? Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, but he said, here's a, there's a guy that seems like he can hit, uh, getting out of bed. I was like, okay. I don't, you know, I didn't know exactly what that meant, but then you see it. It's, it's effortless in a way, not that he, uh, he's a very hard worker, but there is a smoothness to his swing. He's an extra base hit machine. He's been a double a leader or a Northeast league leader in doubles in extra base hits. Um, very steady and people are always interested he is uh we put you know on our roster l slash s that's for batting and throwing people go oh jacob just want to tell you that might be a typo i said no no he is ambidextrous as a throw switch thrower Um, yep and and so people are amazed by that uh around the league he went to south carolina um played infield early on in his professional career was an outfielder at uh, at Carol at South Carolina. And now he's back to playing outfield can play left has been playing right more lately. Um, I think he's a really versatile player. Another guy that really, um, you know, you might not have heard about until maybe even last week, uh, but we've been following him is Josh Walker. 
he threw a no hitter, a combined no hitter with Andrew Mitchell in um, Reading. Amazingly enough, Mike, the Ponies had not had a no hitter in 13 years before 2019. Um, who was the last one? I'm trying to think because I'm trying to remember who the last one is. I, I, are you remember well, it? Yeah, the last no hitter was so we had uh, Harold Gonzalez and Ryder Ryan ah, no right. hitter in 2019, but that was right. the first in 13 years, and that was in Harrisburg. So now we've had mm. two in as many wow. seasons, or two in three years, however you want to uh, do it. So that those have been great nights for the Ponies. But with Josh, here's a guy that was like a 37th round pick. Missed 2019 or most of 2019 because he was in a, a, a car accident in 2020. Um, and the accident, not his fault, by the way, for just to, to clarify. And then in 2020, uh, obviously, was, was the pandemic. And he's 26 years old. And he's already, prior to the no-hitter, um, pitched the longest outing of the season for a Pony starter, seven innings. Um, and uh, now things have sort of culminated. So it's nice to see um, those sorts of guys uh, do well too. And I think we always try from, or at least from, from my perspective on the broadcast to be pretty equal across the board and not get too caught up in um, rankings and things like that. Where there's a catcher, Hayden Singer, who's been um, in the mid three hundreds average wise um, for a lot of the year. Now he's down to three eighteen, but really steady um, impressive hitter Jake Mangum uh, you saw his Bulldogs win last night uh, their yep. first title I'm sure I'm sure Jake's a happy guy in Richmond this morning and uh, Jake's been compared to being like the mayor of Starkville so I, I gotta take a trip <laughs> down there with him prolific hitter there uh, got off to a really good start with us it slumped a little in the last homestand and now he's back on track on this road trip and um you know, Tyler McGill is the first player this year for, for us that has obviously reached uh, the big league level. And again, that's that's to the point, Mike, of, of where you don't want to get caught up in these guys uh, in the rankings because Tyler was pretty under the radar coming into the year. Right. We had had him for a game or so. I don't think I even met him back in, in 19. Um, and he quickly became the ace here. Um, and obviously opportunity meets need and, uh, and, you know, the Mets with some injuries and, and there he is pitching and flushing in his head, really two credible. I like the word Gary Cohen used credible starts, credible starts. And that's the thing about minor league baseball. One day, uh, you know, I'm talking to Heinrich, Henry Mejia many years ago, and I think he was in the Binghamton clubhouse and just talking to him after a game. And then he's in big spots and he's closing and it's, it's surreal sometimes. And McGill's interesting because I talked to a scout friend of mine out on the West coast yesterday. And I'm like, did you see him? He goes, well, I saw him in college and I'm surprised he's a starter two pitch pitcher. That is dangerous. You know, maybe you could argue and you saw a little bit of that against Atlanta earlier this week, fifth inning, he hangs a change up three run Homer, you know, that could be problematic, but uh, what I liked is the uh, ice water in his veins kind of comparison that Louis Rojas has used and and I think even James McCann and uh, you know from your perspective I know you saw him only a little bit but enough to to, to say hey you know this is a guy that some are saying you know the Mets are going to need starters potentially but rather than rush and make a bad deal you may have something under your nose that's always the challenge being a big market team the Tyler McGill is not the guy you want to pencil in in April and you're like who but now you have him there so do you feel you know knowing Tyler 
uh, do you feel confident that, you know, a guy with two pitches, some of the good things that he can do with that repertoire, can he navigate the National League and, and a team that, that probably is going to be competing for a division and, and, a, and a postseason spot? Well, with the use of that changeup, which he used a lot, fastball changeup slider is a pretty nasty slider too. Uh, mm-hmm. I see a guy that, that certainly, you know, plays well at that level. But it, it, it's funny you mentioned the ice water in his veins. Uh, when I spoke to Jonathan Hurst, our pitching coach, who's, who's one of the best, he said to me, Jacob, don't get confused by this. You, you, he's a calm guy, you know, has that California sort of demeanor. He is methodical on the mound. He turns it on. And I interviewed him and he said, yeah, I don't think it's like he turns on a switch, but he mm-hmm. is a focused competitor out there. Um, he's gritty. He's not phased easily. His starts were clearly dominant. You know, it was clearly a step above the pack. Um, I don't pretend to be a scout, you know, and say yep. Here's how this will, will work out. But I was very impressed. He talked a lot about arm angles in my interview with him, uh, pathways, and uh, came across to me as a very conscientious guy um, who who has the right mindset to be successful. And he's certainly going to be supported uh, like he has been, you know, in the system thus far in terms of continuing to make adjustments with, with the folks uh, on Luis Rojas' staff. And of course, Luis has, has the Binghamton connection as well. And it's right. Managed right. With, uh, here for two years. So it's really nice to just see that continuity. Um, and even as going a little off track here, but, you know, you see a guy like Jeff McNeil wasn't called up at 21, you know, right. I mean, Alonzo. Not everybody's David Wright. Not everybody's Jose Reyes. And I'll throw you another thing. You mm-hmm. want to do random Mets from the 90s. I remember Jonathan Hurst had a cup of coffee with the Mets. Really? I think the strike season. See, that's the kind of weird names when you bring them up. I'm like, well, Jonathan Hurst pitched for the Mets. And many people might not. A hard thrower, too, back in his day. When a time when, like now everybody throws 98. Jonathan Hurst was a guy that. When he threw 98 back in 1993, 94, whatever it was, uh, that got noticed. So it's interesting. You got a little random 90s Met thrown in there, huh? Just ask Hershey. He'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he will. He sure he will. And, you know, and it's interesting. You Gary Carter way, you know. Yep. Uh, with the minor league baseball being blown out last year, there was the alternate site, which is like this secret lab that nobody <laughs> really knew about. You got some videos. There's like the secret lab and yeah. not everybody was in there. And, you know, it's almost like all these guys. And I'm curious because you're mentioning names that probably would be on someone's radar as a fan base, prospect list, writers, scouts, more so that early in the year than they were. But nobody has heard some of these names for two years. Now you're bringing them up. Have players talked to you how they navigate if they weren't at the alternate site? how they navigated their development because it wasn't like they could just go anywhere. Everything was shut down depending on which state you were in. So you were getting back to your childhood roots where maybe you were in mm-hmm. your backyard and your cousin was catching you, or your significant other was, you know, you know, doing, you know, catching work, you know, if they could and, and whatever. So I'm curious, like what stories you've heard and how, how many have navigated that. Cause that's a big deal. Not a lot of people are talking about that. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that the secret lab aspect of the alternate site, and maybe Keith has some secret knowledge because Brooklyn was an alternate site, um, or Scranton, you know, for the guys there. But it hasn't been a main focus, at least of my preparation broadcast. Um, I'll ask a guy if he was there, but uh, it's uncl- you know there hasn't been a distinguishable difference of he was at the alternate site and he's skyrocketing. If anything, 
someone like, uh, I mean, it shows an investment, obviously, by the team and the player. Um, I've been more interested, if anything, like Carlos Cortez, Adam Aller, Manny Rodriguez, and I'm forgetting the fourth were guys that played in Australia. Um, Andrew Mitchell, who I was going to bring up, yes. who went to Australia, and a guy that's, you know, all of a sudden, you know, look, any, I, and I, it's interesting because anybody on that B-Mets roster, B-Mets, see, I did it, the Rumble Ponies roster, they have to look at the big league club and know the Mets have been very aggressive in transactions. They, they're going to need arms, even if there's not health issues, there's going to be a, a need because of how they manage innings and whatnot. It's possible that a Mitchell might get a call at some point to come out of the bullpen. Look at uh, Zapucky. He's in the game last night. Uh, a guy that, that was a start yeah. to a game uh, yeah. but for him with uh, the comebacker and having to, um, th- th- that was memorable. Um, and he, yeah, he was with us briefly. So, mm-hmm. um, but obviously he's been a guy mentioned in the system for a while, but just to the Australia point, to me, those numbers, since it was an actual game competition, and it's just so interesting how many guys go to Australia Yep. in their lifetime, nonetheless, to play right. baseball, nonetheless, in a pandemic. I've re- gone to that more, not to dismiss what was going on at the alternate side. I'm sure these guys gained valuable right. experience, but everyone had different regimens and had different resources. So we haven't focused a lot on it. Um, it's certainly been different this year. You've seen, um, we just, uh, you know, have had guys that, might be in their second year in professional baseball, you know, been drafted in 2019, been drafted even in 2020. Um, And so for uh, them, they're getting an opportunity to make a start very early on in their career. And um, not that it has to be perfect, but that's been the difference as well um, in just not having that 2020 year you're seeing guys at the double a level even though our team probably is a little older on the older side some mid-20s guys etc which is fine uh you're seeing some younger guys get a chance um and it's also interesting seeing the six game series play out um that's something that we've never had before um where for folks that aren't familiar every series is six games against the same team so a couple of look it makes in some ways um you know, look, I understand what they're doing minor league baseball. The travel's rough. I'm sure you could speak to that. Um, I know it's not the same, but to get guys in one area for a week, basically, forget uh, health and safety for now. Let's think of it long term for the player development. Um, saves money. We know that. It also allows them to not have to do some of the things that are just part of minor league baseball that are are unnecessary, but not necessarily great for development, long bus rides, you know, uh, right. you know, things like that. Um, what I think is cool with the Mets have done, and they started this before Steve Cohen is they've kind of built this New York minor league connection. It's, you know, you got your Florida state league and then you go to Brooklyn and then you go to Binghamton and then you go, and it's usually, well, they call them up. Well, no, they're calling them down. They're going all the way up New York yeah. down. And yeah. I think you talked about Binghamton earlier and, and the experience there. I think, for a player, they could really, if they stay with the Mets, get a real New York flavor up and down the line. They get a little city, they get Western New York, then they get to the big club. I think it's, I'm curious if you have, have thought about that, because I think it's pretty cool that they're building a New York organization. And it's actually yeah. an organization that's that makes sense as you go from Port St. Lucie for spring training all the way up to uh, to Syracuse. Yeah, there's a gra- there's sort of a graphic where it's the state, you know, and you see the sort of 
travels through the state. It certainly works well, uh, just speaking from an observational standpoint, uh, you know, with, with Binghamton and Syracuse, uh, you know, when there's double mm-hmm. A, triple A, um, and I'm not sure if guys love <laughs> being jetted, you know, going back and forth up I-81, but... Uh, they much rather be at City Field. They, they won't admit that. That's not a knock on anybody. It's just, right. it's, it is what it is, you know? But, yes, yeah, you know, you've got obviously a convenience there and and the guy can drive down if they need him for, for a start here or vice versa. Um, and, and so certainly that works well. And yeah, it's just been the only, uh, the system that, that I think is, is probably the closest in, in terms of in-state is, is the Orioles with all four of their affiliates yep. in Maryland. So I think it always, it builds um, passion among fan bases. We had the seven line come through on a little upstate trip to Binghamton and Syracuse in 19. So it really sets up um, nice synergy that way. And Binghamton has a long history with the Mets organization, early 90s. People yep. forget Brooklyn has been around. I remember Brooklyn when they came in in 2001, and soon they'll be like that. It's 20 yeah. years. It goes by quick. But Syracuse is, is new. Um, and I think you guys, it's nice to see you guys stick around. And, and before I let you go, and you've been generous with your time, what is the Jacob Wilkins, if they don't haven't heard you, signature call? We got to get a signature call from you here. Is it it's out of here like Gary Cohen? Uh, <laughs> is it a Bob? I you know you're a Long Island guy. So yeah, I'm assuming yeah, you yeah. have New York roots, whether you grew up a Mets fan or a Yankees fan. Uh, you got to have who, well two things. Who is your broadcasting? Because you're a play-by-play guy, which is, yeah. let me tell everyone in the audience. Uh, what I do and what my radio, I've been on WGBB on Long Island. You probably know that. Yep. Champions Radio, Eastern Long Island, when they were around briefly. That's easy stuff, talk radio. You could bumble that, fumble that. You could be yourself now. Play-by-play, that's a whole different level. And I don't know how you guys do baseball, much less hockey. When I listen to Marv Albert sometimes, the great Marv mm. Albert, who's one of my yeah. uh, uh, idols as a, as a broadcaster, um, it's hard. So what's the, you know, who is your you know, broadcasting guy? Uh, and, and, and give me your signature call, if you like to. If you're embarrassed, we understand. So. <laughs> No, you know, I, and, and I'm not dodging your question. First of all, I could never uh, steal Gary Cohen's call. Uh, That's true. And, and, or, or anyone for that matter. I've never really had a signature call. You know, my feeling is I, I try, you know, not every, uh, first of all, you don't want to be, uh, you know, okay, you're not trying, you can't try to uh, be Gary Cohen or be. Right. Ernie, Ernie Harwell told me, the most yeah. surreal interview I did was back wow. in 2007. On the phone with Ernie Harwell. Here's a guy that interviewed Babe Ruth. He said, be your own person. Don't be a good copy. And I always remember that. I always remember that. Yeah. So I've never had one because I just feel like each play, you know, each home run is different. And and I want to describe, you know, the home run that is is way out or the home run that just gets over the wall. And uh, um, so I've never had, had a signature call. But what I do try to always bring is energy and excitement, not uh, forced excitement, but, you know, engaged in the game, you know, uh, and, and from a broadcaster, um, and I really think the medal of a good broadcaster, right. It's a, an executive named Eric Spitz. I just interviewed him for mm-hmm. um, another project I do. And Eric's been a mentor yep. of mine was an FAM program director for, yep, a, long for a long time. Eric now Spitz was a long time program. Yeah. Director. Now an executive at Sirius XM, we were mm-hmm. talking, I was interviewing him about his career, but he said, when it comes to baseball play-by-play, he was a guy that's evaluated tons of tapes, done high-profile hires. Sure. Um, it's not anyone can do a good highlight, you know, and, and make it sound good. It's how do you keep the audience engaged in mm-hmm. September 
where at a major league level, let's say a team's out of a pennant race and it's 7-1 in the fourth inning. That's sure. a good broadcaster. What or, you got to do is you got to do the baseball card thing that Gary, Keith, and Ron do where they take the old pack <laughs> of baseball cards. I don't know if they'll let you do that. Now, let yeah. me ask you this other real quick. Is it very still very tight, the media room in Binghamton? Have they changed that? Because I remember that was one of the tighter – yeah. minor league baseball is tight but they have some good media i mean i was in scranton media room brooklyn's yeah. pretty tight understandable but binghamton was the tightest where you know some of you the, the, the spillover guys who are non-essential like me we were standing <laughs> up or actually trying to find a seat at some point but uh in the ballpark uh is it still tight up there have they made any amenity changes or whatnot uh no it's it's comfortable you know yeah. i think and and we've had so much uh, our ownership has put you know a lot of money in the City's put a lot of money into our ballpark, and we have indoor batting cages, and, and I think you'd probably see a, a, a very different ballpark than even a decade ago. Sure. Certainly would, actually. Sure. Um, and, and our media room's comfortable, and we have, you know, certainly this year we, we've kept people spaced out more, excuse me, but, but also been able to accommodate everybody, and I think pretty comfortably. Um, to your question about broadcasters that I look up to, um, Dick Enberg was always a guy that, that I really uh, admired. And it was a thrill when someone, uh, he'd come out, come out with a book, Oh My, and then he spoke at Hofstra yep. and, and someone yep. was able to get it signed for me. And he wrote right. a nice note. Um, very nice. Yeah. But I, I, you know what, I'll tell you again, you take different things or you see different things you like from different people. I mean, Sean McDonough is to me just outstanding. I was going back and you can tell I have a thriving social life. I'm watching YouTube videos of, uh, <laughs> of great Sean McDonough calls. Um, when you Look, think when you're that- into the business, that stuff is gold. I mean, I think we've both been very lucky growing up in the area that we grew up in. Bob Murphy, Gary Cohen, yeah. um, Marv Albert, Mike Breen. Yep. Uh, depending if, you know, even, you know, John Davidson, who was a Rangers executive, he was a yeah. big time broadcaster and I'm showing my age. I'm in my forties. So Same early nineties, late eighties, things like that. Yep. But, um, you know, uh, out in the city, when I was younger, uh, we didn't have cable because it wasn't all wired up. So Bob Murphy was as much my broadcaster listening to baseball on the radio. Uh, Ernie Grunfeld was a broadcaster for the Knicks, uh, Jim Carvelis, mm-hmm. if you really want to go back, you know, radio broadcast. So, I'm dating myself, but it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a craft. It's almost like, and I, and I hope I'm not offending anybody because I can't paint, but it, this way it's like you're a verbal painting and you have to Absolutely. put together something. It's a canvas and, on radio. Yeah. 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 And it's hard. And I'm not just telling you that I, I admire what guys like you do the play by play. Cause uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. Now baseball may be easier than the other sports, but like your, like Eric Spitz said, you know, how do you keep an audience engaged, especially in the in the era of the of the iPhone or some kind of electronic device where they could just right. turn you on mute and go and look at Twitter, which uh, I think people appreciate a little more some of what's going on socially around us after last year. So it's good to you know have interaction and whatnot. So what do you guys have coming up? Obviously, uh, Essential Workers Week. Yep. You're on WFAN. You've been I, I've kept you much longer, and I apologize. <laughs> I, I uh, you know you've been generous with your time. So what do you got coming up uh, out there up there in Binghamton over the next week or so that the listeners could uh, know about, and maybe they want to make a trip this summer up there. Yeah, well, we, we've got this, uh, you know, Essential Workers Week where we're honoring and all this information's on our website and 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 um, on our social media handles. We're honoring uh, different essential workers that that have played a big role uh, each night of the week. Um, and you know, uh, we have tons of. I mean, we we've already had a Jeff McNeil bobblehead day. We've had Bark in the Park days. So all the things love are Bark in the Park. 
Love oh, yeah. Bark in the Park. And Never get enough of Bark in the Park. And I'm a big dog guy, you know. Yep. Uh, they're, they're, I got four of them. I got four, four. of them here. Three Chihuahuas and a Golden. So wow. you want to know about dogs, you can call oh me. I'll give God. you all the, all, the, all the pet food uh, info you can get. So there you go. We'll get them four <laughs> sheets. But, as, as I, you know, I think. That's it, not a fun day for me at the ballpark. Let's put it that way. Four oh, no, dogs man, managing you're, that. You're babysitting. You're babysitting. That <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that uh, as we talked about in terms of if you're planning on making a trip, I mean, it's it's sort of, uh, and I appreciate you giving me the time. What we talked about is like the infomercial for yeah. what's great about minor league baseball. We really have something for everybody. If, you know, the, the game is you're interested, but you're not following, you don't have to be following the prospect list. You can enjoy mm-hmm. a game with your dog or a game with your family. But also, it's as much about that. It's as much about that minor league baseball than it is about. And I see that because the Long Island Ducks, I mean, they're not affiliated. Uh, it's a much about the ballpark experience. You know, people who have built relationships that I'm sure missed them last year. Yes. And even though, yeah, it can sound like an infomercial, I think it's important. At least I feel that those who listen to this and we have a, a, a robust and loyal audience, we're not ESPN. Uh, you know, they learn something, you know, believe it or not, I've had people email me from other countries that listen that are now Mets fans because baseball with them, you know, making inroads in the UK and whatnot. So, you know what, maybe if I could get back to the US, I can make that trip. So, you know, don't underestimate the, the impact that, you know, someone like you could have because, you know, there's a lot of narratives about Western New York and upstate New York that are quite honestly not true. You know, look, do I want to be in upstate Buffalo in December? I'll be honest. Probably not. Maybe not even Binghamton. The the snow is a little bit much for me. You, want, you, you know, want forty inches of snow like we. No, had I'll let you handle okay. that, Jacob. Okay. I'll let you do that. But obviously, in the summer, so uh, it sounds like you have a lot of fun stuff. And I interrupted you, but it sounds like you have a lot of fun stuff coming up. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, we're this isn't you know we're we're not just selling uh you know some you know some narrative when you look at tangibly. We talked about Tyler McGill. You are seeing the future stars. We have a slogan. Or, or something we like to say, the road to through Queens goes through Rumble. Uh, used to be Rumble Town, now we're Marabito Stadium, mm-hmm. um, and and that's true because you're seeing these guys. A month ago, Tyler McGill, or a month and a half ago, Tyler McGill's making a start with us, and then he's at City Field. So you are are seeing these guys, and that's what's so special about the way minor league baseball works. Um, and and that's not going to change, whether it's Pete Alonzo, whether it's McGill, yep. whether it's David Peterson. I know he had a tough start last night, but David was with us for all of 2019 and, and then obviously made that uh, debut last year. So, Well, I'll tell you this. I remember meeting Adam Amin in a Long Island Ducks press box about 13, 14 years ago. And you probably know who Adam is. So maybe 13 years from now, I'll be on the TV and say, I remember that guy. On Fourth of July weekend, talking B Mets baseball. So you've been very generous. I hope we could catch up again, Jacob. Anytime. Thank you so much. Uh, be well. Have a great Fourth, and uh, thanks again. You too, Mike. My pleasure. All right, and that's Jacob Wilkins. You guys can check him out on Twitter at Jacob Wilkins, and uh, obviously check out the Rumble Ponies. And uh, look, I thought it was interesting for us to go out, start talking about minor league baseball again. If something that we didn't really talk about last year. And it's an important part of what I've always done with this program because you want to get a feel of the entire organization. You know, Subway Series weekend, there's plenty of time to, you know, look under the hood and complain about what's going on in New York. But there's a lot of other things going on in this organization. And that's what makes this what I hope is a fun show where we could talk about the Mets and the organization as a whole up up and down and meet people. And, uh, you know, you never know what uh, 
who you talk to and what they become. So anyway, let's take a quick break and wrap up your listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. For the first time ever, the Mets and Airbnb have teamed up to give you a once in a lifetime night at City Field. Hi, I'm former Met and your host, Bobby Bo. Let me take you on a virtual tour of this amazing space. Here are some of the amenities you'll enjoy if you spend the night at the ballpark. Check out all this memorabilia, including a few signed baseball signed by yours truly. Take a look at this place. This is the ultimate experience for the biggest Met fans. You'll get to sleep in your own suite overlooking the Jackie Robinson Rotunda with views of the original home run apple. It's one of the best rooms in the ballpark. This customized space has everything you'll need to have a luxurious stay inside the famed ballpark. You'll have access to a gym for a workout and a shower to keep your game day routine. In addition to your stay, you'll have your own private suite for the Met games on July 28th and 29th. You'll be able to show off your arm as you'll get to throw out the first pitch on July 28th. Mr. and Mrs. Met will make a visit to make your stay even more memorable. You have quite the night ahead of you, and I'm glad you're here. Enjoy the game. Let's go Mets. Yeah, it looks like you could still get paid. Hey, is that Bobby Bonilla? Wow. Yeah, it looks like you could still get paid to play. Wow, Bobby Bonilla, you look great. Oh, I feel great, thank you. Man, what's your secret? Extremely long-term deals. Could I get an extremely long-term deal? You can at Mint Mobile. 25 years for just $100 a year. Wow, that seems really fiscally irresponsible of them. It does. That's right. For one day, everyone can get 25 years of premium wireless for just $100 a year. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. And uh, I am not getting any money from the Mets for promoting that Airbnb ad or from, uh, I don't even remember what cell phone company it was, but from the cell phone company that's doing the 25-year wireless deal. I, I have Verizon. I don't plan on switching. I'm, I'm kind of – once I get something that works as a product, you have to really switch me. So, But I thought it was fun as we wrap up, and I hope you enjoyed Jacob Wilkins because I thought, you know, yeah, it was a little bit of a – a public service announcement for Binghamton, but I think it's important to kind of get everybody feeling normal, feeling minor league baseball, getting them back out there. Hopefully they feel like they can do that. And and if you're planning on a minor league baseball trip, go to these towns and support these guys because you get to learn a little bit about the organization. There's some really cool things you could do in some of these small towns. They may not be exotic resorts, but they're affordable and they're fun experiences. I remember you know, plenty of good vacations going to minor league ballparks as a kid and seeing, you know, Mo Vaughn as a minor leaguer, uh, you know, things like that, you know, uh, when he was like this big prospect, this big guy and everything. So anyway, um, so I, the whole Bobby Bonilla thing, let me let me go there and then I want to make one other comment about, and this really all ties together. Uh, for years, this whole Bobby Bonilla day, Mets paying a million bucks until what, 2035? And how it's like a mock thing. First of all, God bless Bobby Bonilla and his agent for making that deal. It was a deal as a buyout that, at the time, the error on the Mets part is that they were investing with a guy in Madoff that was giving them fake returns. So, from a financial standpoint, it made a ton of sense for the Mets. ton of sense. And from Bonilla's standpoint, why not get an annuity in your retirement, a salary that uh, 
let's face it, you know, depending on how smart he was with his career money, and he had, at one point, he was the highest paid player in baseball with that contract in 1992, uh, but depending on how he was uh, uh, with his money, um, it's a nice little nest egg to have. I mean, all of us would love to have that. And then you can figure out how you want to spend your retirement in terms of, uh, you know, what challenges from a career-wise, personally want to do. So I don't criticize either side. What I could criticize the Mets is that you, you invested in a fund that, uh, I guess a lot of people didn't realize was fake, but maybe the return should have been an, uh, a little bit of a, an eye-opener. Turned out to be a crime. It, it's water under the bridge. We've talked about that. So I always I always kind of felt like this is stupid because if you really rip this apart, it all made sense in 1999 or whenever it happened, 2000 for both parties. It was the uh, mechanics of, uh, you know, how can you invest a million dollars a year uh, to a guy over X number of years and make that money back and make it make sense just to save in the present day. You know, so it is a bad ba- this decision, but when the facts at the time were available, it wasn't. There are also other teams that are deferring things. I mean, look at all these Washington Nationals contracts. Scherzer, Worth, I think even maybe Strasburg, I'd have to look. Uh, I think I've seen uh, Bruce Suter on the Atlanta payroll. Uh, maybe even Brett Saberhagen still getting payments from the Mets or the Royals. Uh, I think if you go to SpotTrack or one of these... Um, uh, sites that really gets into this, you can you can find that stuff out. So, but he is the most popular, and he might be the highest paid retiree on the payroll. But it's not necessarily something that's. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a pension. I mean, <laughs> how many people are on payrolls of companies that you work for 15, 20 years, and when you're in a pension, you're really kind of still on their payroll in a sense. So anyway, that that's that. But the the other thing is good for Bonilla, who was a real prickly guy. And we've had Bob Clappish on the show, and, and, you know, he had his interaction. And if you haven't read The Worst Team Money Can Buy, even though it's it's 30 years old, it's still a great book. And it really gives you, and I read it again during the pandemic when there was no baseball last year. It gives you a sense of the beginnings of the modern era of baseball with how things were being managed and, and how they were looking at things. But it also gave you a sense of team dysfunction and not so much players... Uh, liking each other, but players not only not liking each other, but not really interested in putting the work in to win. They got paid, they came in, they put in their uh, their time, they went home, and and uh, I've even had guys like Dave Gallagher and other guys from that team talk about how bad it was. So, uh, ironically enough, looks like Bobby's coming out of his shell. If you look at that commercial, this, the, the, the wireless commercial, uh, he's lost a lot of weight because he was looking pretty out of shape there for a while. So, uh, he's looking pretty good. And, and all I'll say this about Bobby Bonilla, who played a majority of his career with the Pirates six years, but he played five years with the Mets. And his career at the Mets, uh, he had 95 home runs, a 270 batting average, an 851 OPS, and a 128 OPS+. plus. i got to tell you, those are pretty solid numbers. It was never offense that was Bobby's problem. It was the team that he was on. If Bobby was on the 88 or 89 Mets and he could blend in behind Strawberry and McReynolds, and just do his thing with Hernandez and Carter, uh, you know, maybe he would have been in better place. He was he was a guy that was expected to be Strawberry, was expected to be the media uh, lightning rod that Strawberry was, talk radio and WFAN coming into fruition, all these new media toys. It was a recipe for disaster. Even for the best of people, it would have been a challenge. And, uh, you know, when he was traded, and they got Alex Ochoa in that deal, Alex Ochoa was a big-time prospect. That was actually a good deal if you look back. Uh, they also got Damon Buford, who was a defensive-oriented center fielder. He didn't work out. But Alex Ochoa was supposed to be a big-time uh, acquisition, a five-tool player. Didn't work out. 
uh, for a variety of reasons. That's another story for another day. And I think they, ironically, I've read some old stuff. They were trying to get Armando Benitez in that deal initially because he was a big prospect for the Orioles. They wound up getting him years later, but it shows you how they had their eye on Benitez even back during the Benia deal. So good for Bobby. Uh, I think with one thing that Steve Cohen has done is to take some of these goofy negative narratives and have some fun with it. I mean, he's doing the Airbnb thing. He's you know he's got the guy on the payroll. He's probably saying, "Bobby, I need you to do something for this money." And Bobby gets to make uh, some dough with commercials on the side, get his name back out there. Look, despite some of the things that you know people think about him and his personality, he had a really good big league career, over two thousand hits, uh, almost you know two hundred eighty-seven home runs. Uh, he was a solid professional hitter uh, on a good team. Probably shouldn't have been the cog in the middle of the lineup. Had a big home run in the World Series with Miami to tie a game. People forget that. So maybe he could get back into this. I think he's been involved in the Players Association for a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, anyway, is what it is. But I thought Steve Cohen did a nice job of, you know, deflecting what could have been another negative. Look at the Mets. Look at this. Because got to get got to get away from that. And I thought he did a nice job with the Bobby Bonilla day. Uh, as far as the minor leagues, we know we had Jacob Wilkins on. I know some information came out from our friends over the Daily News. Uh, uh, Dennis Young, a uh, reporter, talked about how uh, poorly paid in terms of housing and stipends that the Mets minor leaguers are compared to some of the other teams. And they compared them to the Phillies, who I guess are the you know the most you know local team and probably the best for the comparison for the story. It was actually from Advocates for Minor Leaguers, a Twitter handle. But, you know, I didn't have a chance to really get into it, Jacob, for a couple of reasons. First of all, he works for in the organization, and, you know, it's it's not the kind of segment I want to put him in that spot. Second, this came out after the interview. I did this interview on Thursday. So I want to be clear, if anyone says, well, why didn't you bring it up? It, it wasn't a story when I talked to him. And I don't know how comfortable he would have been. Uh, I might have had that conversation, and, and maybe he could have navigated I don't like to put people who work for the organization on the spot because it's not fair to them. They have a job to protect. But look, the Mets don't have a housing stipend for AAA and AA. And in some cases for highly paid veterans, that's probably a little ridiculous, but there are guys that are not. Uh, I think the more egregious things that you could see from some of the stuff that came out in the Daily News story uh, in high A team hotels are not fully covered. Look, those guys, um, you know, very low paid. There's no veterans like, uh, you know, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, you have like a, a Dani Echeverria who got a contract. You know, those guys that no one's going to feel sorry for them, you know, not getting a housing stipend. You know, you got to kind of figure out a way to live where your job is uh, and things like that. I think the low A, the high I think in the high A, the team hotel not being fully covered is a little ridiculous. I know they're taking out some money to defray hotel costs and minor league salaries. Extended spring training, no salary. Look, uh, my argument here is this, and I'll say this. If you think you're going to get into baseball and you're going to be able to build a nest egg just being a minor league baseball player, that ain't the 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 you know that's not the place to go. I mean, even coaches. I talked to a former big league Matt who was thinking about getting into coaching about five, six, seven years ago. I think they were offering him like thirty five thousand dollars a month to be a pitching coach. Uh, thirty five thousand dollars a year. I mean, we're talking you know well below you know maybe above at that time the average salary, which I you know for an American I don't know what it is now. It's probably no more than thirty five, forty thousand, I would think. Uh, but nothing. <laughs> That really you could take home and raise a family on. So if you're waiting for the Mets or any minor league organization that's part of baseball to do that, I mean, their costs would go up considerably. Uh, it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from profits. 
uh, it's not easy to make profits in minor league baseball. I understand the guy's worth $14 billion. By the way, it goes back to, and Mark Cuban spoke about this in an article recently, and I can't remember what publication. Just because you have all this wealth in terms of paper and assets and property and businesses doesn't mean you have that cash flow available to you every day of the year. In order to pay for some of this stuff, something has to sell, whether it be tickets, whether it be an asset, something. So learn a little bit about economics before you go out there and you start saying, well, this guy's worth $14 billion. How can he not pay these guys X, Y, Z? He handled this well. He's looking into it. And I believe this guy will maximize whatever profits he can put back into the business. And that's the key word, profits he can put back into the business. And we don't know truly what the profits are and how they look and how they account for big league versus uh, minor league on the balance sheet. Remember, the team is covering the players. This, these organizations are sometimes run by other ownership groups. And I know people who work in minor league baseball who get paid peanuts. It's basically... A freelance job. And I'll tell you what. Uh, ain't a lot of money going around there. You can't have $6 tickets and $2 hot dogs and draw 2,000 fans on a given night and have a lot of money and profits. The hot dogs cost something. To open up the ballpark costs something. The electricity costs something. Everything costs something. So I understand where we're going. And we sh- and there should be a, more of an advocacy for minor leaguers especially putting resources into top prospects, not just development in terms of analytics and, and coaching. But I'll tell you what, if you're organizational filler and you're using minor league baseball to create your nest egg, use it to build skills to get into the real world and realize you probably are going to have to work a second job in the off season because even if they raise your salary to $35,000, $40,000 a year, I know there's some parts of the country where these guys are from where that's plenty, but I don't see how you could raise any kind of family outside of yourself as a single person in a one-bedroom apartment uh, with, a mo- <laughs> with inflation the way it's going, even that might be tough. So um, what I like and the point here of this is I'm not getting deep into this minor league conversation as I want to explain to you why I didn't bring it up. I also wanted to give Steve Cohen credit for how he handled the Bobby Bonilla day and how he's handling some of these negative stories that in the past would spiral because there would be no answer to it or there would be a corporate lawyerly answer from Sandy Alderson, which is who Sandy is. But looking back, and, and I was always critical of him, Uh, He had to advocate for the ownership group that he was working for. So anyway, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this 4th of July edition of the program. Tried to give you a different flavor, things that are not going to go stale. Because you, you know, I'm finishing this on on 4th of July morning. By the time this gets to your uh, iPhone, your iPad, wherever you listen to your your podcasts, it might be in the middle of the first or second game where the games might be over. and, And who knows what the heck happens. The July 4th doubleheader Mets Yankees. Anything could happen when it comes to the Subway Series, even in the new school, not as exciting Subway Series. So, all right, I want to thank Jacob Wilkins for joining us. Of course, check out the Binghamton Rumble Ponies if you get a chance, if you want to make a trip to Western New York. Of course, you could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your 4th of July. Don't eat too much. Enjoy the ball games this week. We'll be back with another podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.